Well, hello, my little Valencia oranges, you sunshiny, sunshiny people. Mwah! I am the very mysterious Azura Ravenmar, and I will be joined this week by probably Chase Nova. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Azura, mysterious means I'm not allowed to ask what the name means, doesn't it? That's, that's that done oh, now. Oh, it's, it's just a name that I thought sounded like, you know, someone who might put a curse on you. <gasps> Did I give it oh. away? Shh. No, 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 don't worry. Shh. They haven't figured it out yet. It's fine. They have no idea. They didn't see the title when they clicked into the episode. No, never. How was your week? How's things? Um, my week has been a bit draggy, to tell you the truth, but I'm delighted to be here with you now. Oh, <laughs> you always wear the best at sarcasm. Aren't I? Thank you. Yeah. yeah how are um, you? I'm good. I'm good. Do you know what I spent this week? Um, I uh, basically broke two mirrors, stood on a black cat, uh, and then I set off a firework which scared several black cats. Okay, um, hang on. And I, I haven't met your cats, but I've seen them on Zoom enough times to know you're not talking about your cats. Whose cat well, did you stand Why would I scare on? my own cats? It was outside. I was walking and it was there and it was hiding anyway. <gasps> did it cross your the path? The point is, since then, I've been cursed. Oh, no. And in being cursed, what you're looking at now is actually a software uh, tailor-made for me to generate my gesticulation <laughs> on Zoom to you in a video process. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been cursed to be a disembodied voice on a podcast for the rest of my life. I mean, that actually kind of works for me, so empathy denied. I wasn't expecting any. I wasn't even expecting sympathy. I wasn't expecting pathos. <laughs> um, but more importantly, it's time for us to get some money. Gotta get paid for fake. No, no, these are real. Gotta get paid for real. Wait, really? Eggs. Yeah, of course. Yeah, naturally. Exactly. This week, Pontification is brought to you by the youths. Are you a normal, contributing member of society that wishes to have their day reduced in value? You need youths. Only youths' patented formula of tired insults they heard on TikTok can put the correct dampener on your day. Need your bag of shopping pinched? Youths. Want someone to shit in your car? Youths. Need someone to blame for the fact that your estate is bad, even though you voted for a local politician who supported defunding youth activities and lowering police presence in the area? You guessed it. Youths. Youths, hooded heads bring flooded beds. <laughs> uh, Pontification is also brought to you by Awkward Silence. <clears throat> Awkward Silence, the only way to respond when you accidentally watch a sex scene with your granny. I've done that, actually. Pontification is brought to you by The Noise. You can hear it, can't you? That subtle, deep ringing in the back of your head. No one else can hear it, but you can. You know the truth. You feel the same way I do. Give in. Give in to the noise. And that message is brought to you by the Association of Tinnitus. And finally, Pontification is brought to you by the Social Welfare Office. (laughs) If you or a friend have been impacted by COVID-19, you should visit the Social Welfare Office. If you would like to hear the rest of this sponsor joke about the Social Welfare Office, 
Simply fill out forms 34B, 72J and 36DD. <laughs> Once you have completed these forms, and we've informed you that form 36DD was entirely unnecessary, but should have just been a photocopy of a brassiere your mother wore on her third day of school in 1974, you can then begin the contemplating process of maybe applying for benefits as listed in form 86G. Though, if your mother was absent on the third day of school in 1974, you'll need your father to verify that your mother had breasts in 1974. If your mother and father hadn't met in 1974, you should fill out Form 98K, as that is just a lovely sounding combination of alpha numerology. Once you've figured out that there isn't a 98K, visit your social welfare office and request Form 69ING. Once the clerk behind the counter is finished laughing at you, you can then feel free to laugh at the fact that you've been duped again by the marvellous pranksters at the social welfare office. The social welfare office. Just work somewhere, will you? <laughs> I was going to say that sponsor was entirely too long, but to be fair, have they not basically bankrolled this entire show? I know, yeah. So, I like, I mean, they, they can have that. as much time as they want at this stage. I thought so, yeah. Although I, I, I wish they'd send me my mum's brassiere back because she's wondering where it is, and I don't want to have that conversation. Well, in 1974, my mum was four and a half years old, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to starve to death. Yeah, probably. And in fairness, that's one less mouth to feed, so that's worked. Loophole. <laughs> so, we are talking about what today? We're talking about curses. Ooh. We are talking about curses. Ooh. Ooh. Not swearing. I, not swearing. But curses. Like, you know. As in hexing. Yes. Like, there's a curse on me. I have bad luck. That I kind have been of cursed. thing. Yeah. Um, in the vein of having been cursed, this will be quick. Um, I wanted to talk about the subject of the internet meme trend that is known as cursed images. Okay, yeah, uh, I'm in groups for that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned we were doing curses to a friend. She said I should cover the meme trend briefly. So I'm doing that. Are you happy, Kira? Oh, Ciara, our number one Ciara. fan. Exactly. So exactly. Uh, basically, there's a trend online of cursed images being strange pictures that are seemingly cursed. They could be innocuous or dull images of family affairs or boring world events, but where there's a secret shadow, a hidden symmetry, or just an unfortunate framing, that image is deemed to be cursed by the internet. And I'd just like to say, this is ridiculous, Emma. But do you know where the origins of cursed images lie? I, I would go out on a limb and say just shitposting meme culture. No, the first ever cursed image was beans. Oh, beans in places where beans should not be. It was the first ever one. I found it. It lies in beans. Somewhere all the way back in 2015, someone posted an image that was simply some beans being put into a washing machine. Mm. Redditors and Imgurians or Imagerians joined in and started taking photos of beans where they shouldn't be. Mm. Examples included beans in slippers, beans in a French press, beans in a diffuser, beans in the DVD case for Spider-Man 3, beans in Christmas decorations. You get the picture. My favourite one is beans in the kitchen clock. <laughs> that sounds horrific. Yeah. I like the guy with a pint of beans in the pub. Oh, yeah, I like that one. I like that one. Mm. Um, so basically, this collection of photographs was deemed cursed, and since then, cursed images have been an entire genre of meme and internet content, all because of the original post, Beans in a Washing Machine. Nifty. Isn't that interesting? I like that. You know what? I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell <clears throat> them. Chase has pointed out to me how often I say, Jolly good. And so now I'm trying to actively avoid saying it, but the problem is, apparently the, the alternative that I came up with on the fly is nifty, which I don't stand by. 
I, yeah, I'm not a fan of Nifty. Nifty, Nifty has to go. Jolly Good seems like it's Jolly Good, whereas Nifty is like, you know, you've figured out a new way of buttering toast. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Nifty kind of has innovative implications. Let's move exactly. along. Um, okay, so I... How do I explain this? Basically, I rooted through teenage girls' tumblers for a while. Mm-hmm. And I, I went. You through... mean the website, not their dryers? Just oh God! To be clear. Yes, yeah, very. Or their glasses? Like their their blogs. I I looked through some okay. blogs. Um, okay. There's there's subreddits for this. There's Facebook groups. There's all sorts of things if you're interested. Of like modern day witches working their witchcraft, whatever, doing their curses. And apparently, mm-hmm. in 2021, the verbal curses, you know, you that you may choke, all of that stuff, that's fallen out of favor. And what they're doing okay. now is hex jars. That's kind of, you know, the cool thing to do. And so you okay. put ingredients into a jar and you know, shake it or bury it or do whatever you need to do, at, you know. Um, and some of those ingredients are really interesting. So there's, you know, there's the things you'd expect. There's water and salt and aniseed and all that kind of thing. There's poop, rusty nails, sewing pins. Vinegar comes up again and again and again. There's cigarette butts, general yuckiness. And then uh-huh. there's some slightly more specific ones that just fill me with so much joy. Um, Cheetos. Tide pods? Tide pods, if you want, if it feels right, do you, witchy chase. Um, yeah, no, Cheetos, like the like cheese puffs, were very mm-hmm. popularly used by witches who wished to target Donald Trump with curses. Like, cool. it was a thing, it was an established thing in the witching online community. Pickles are very frequently used to represent penises when cursing an ex or an attacker or, you know, otherwise... Uh, perpetuator of male violence with a curse of impotence or similar. Okay. Yeah. Um, And supposedly, if you wish to curse someone to death, and this is kind of where I draw a line, you need to put your ingredients in a big jar, find a live rat, and seal the rat in the jar until it dies. I don't like that. I don't like that either. What did the rat do? quite cruel... Well, I mean, the plague. Not this particular rat, though. Also, where are they getting these rats? Have you ever tried to catch a rat? Are they American? Because there's quite a lot of rats in America. I'm not going to make the obvious joke. Really? It sounds like you're trying to imply it without making it, which would be making it. So you may as well. Gonna move along. Feel like okay. you've backed me into a corner, and I just, I just don't like it. Like Feel like some a sort rat of in a jar. creature. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So you just, you just pop a rat into a jar, maybe shit on it. L- like they're often placed in a jar with poo. Okay, I, I there's mean, so many layers of animal cruelty to this. Yeah, this is the thing. I thought witches were meant to be. I mean, in, in Irish culture, I know people who would identify with being in the in the Wicca community. So you have to bear in mind, like, there's tons of different types of witches, and there's also, like, it's a bit of a feminist word as well because it was used just to describe women who were just into yeah. STEM and the arts and stuff. So there's a bit mm-hmm. of that 
to kind of but, keep in mind when but we is there also the this. sort of the, is there the sort of feminist almost naturist type witches and then there's like the people on reddit i think so yeah I, it's I a feel bit like, like humans in that there's the normal ones <laughs> and there's the people who are always on reddit <laughs> i would have actually taken it the other way around i think like having having gone into it a bit this week there's the people on Reddit who like work jobs and wear pants and whatever. And then in the evening, they post about their empowerment and such. And it seems perfectly healthy, the, you know, unless it goes to unusual extremes like murdering small rodents. And then there's yeah. the other kind who make it their whole life and go to live amongst the hills and to charge a lot of money to train new witches in the way of, uh, you know... We're opening kind of, the Sabrina School for the Gullible. Yeah, just like, there, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of toxic New Age people in Ireland at the moment. I'm worried now that someone's going to curse my pickle, actually, if they start <laughs> badmouthing. So I'd just like to apologise to the, the Wiccan community writ large. Yeah, fair enough. Just in case. Okay, um, do you, would you like to hear about the curse on New Ross? Um... Well, you were born in what, 92? and mm-hmm. On a Friday, which seemingly is one of the signs of a cursed baby. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, you are the curse of New Ross. Isn't that what they call you? Well, I left briefly, but people kept dying while I was gone. So I think no, but most of the people I've asked think yes. Um, okay, so I, <clears throat> I know of a family around who've just lost like a really staggering, terrifying number or like percentage, I guess, of their sons and grandsons to suicide. And mm-hmm. in Neuros, like the just a well-known method of suicide, I guess, is to jump off the bridge because the river, the part of the barrow that goes through Neuros is kind of infamously unswimmable and it's full of mm-hmm. like little riptides and stuff. It's just very, very dangerous water and a lot of people have to be rescued from it or unfortunately can't be rescued from it. Hmm. Now, the elderly matriarch of that family insists that this is happening because of a curse. And okay. for, for years I've been like, well, old ladies do say the damnedest things. And then I started to look at the numbers and I was like, that does seem disproportionate. To be fair, that seems a bit weird. And then I spoke to a friend of mine, another native of the town, and apparently... There's a story that uh, the Crutch Friars, who were originally from France, got lost in a storm at sea and wound up in New Ross entirely by accident, but thought, yeah, fuck it. So they just popped up a monastery. And the townsfolk thought they were great, they were very happy, everything was going well. Time moved on a bit and the monks started taking liberties with the women and with the drink. And the story goes that the townsfolk took law into their own hands, were not impressed by the monks anymore, didn't like their behaviour, and so they broke into the monastery and killed them in their beds. And then they went up the river to the place where the Nor and the Barrow meet, which is just a little bit above Neuros, to kill three sisters who were very, very close to the monks and who were rumoured locally to be witches. So two of the sisters died, and the one remaining sister seemingly cursed the town that the river would take three bodies per year. 
I mean, that is a little bit eerie. It's a bit much, like, it ties together more than I would like. It's also all stories, though. Yeah, the figures don't match up. Mm. Okay, the first thing I wanted to say was, like, how many people do you know have been cursed because of monks? I like, it's not like really it's... their thing to engage in the in the devil's magic. I don't know, I think it's a thing. Like, you know, the thing, you can't hang up on a nun. Okay, that's a Marge Simpson's quote, but, oh, you know, okay? that you can't be rude that. to nuns because you'll be cursed or something. I feel like that's definitely a thing. Okay, I'm going to give you another local curse, not from my locality, but, you know. Okay, so there was a man named Giles Corey. He was born in 1611, and he was one of the very few men accused of witchcraft by all those little baby bitch Puritans in Salem. You know, the oh, the Salem cool. witch trials, that whole shtick. So he was a wealthy Never trust farmer. a male feminist. Never trust a male feminist. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a wealthy farmer. And he was not well-liked in the town at all because he had allegedly beat his farmhand to death and he had also been accused of theft. And people just generally, they were like, no, we don't like that rich, violent dude, right? I don't know why, but beating your farmhand to death just sounds like an old term for you were masturbating too much. Chase, someone may or may (laughs) not have died. Come on. Sorry, sorry. Just because it was 400 years ago. You think you can make light of this random farmhand? What, too soon? Is that it? <laughs> I think so. Anyway, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the witch trials began, and he used to attend the witch exams, and he used to bring his third wife, Martha. That's another reason why people didn't like him, because he'd been married three times, and they, they didn't really do that kind of thing. They're not mad about that, but yeah. They weren't, they weren't gone on it. So he used to go, and his wife Martha was constantly like, oh, no, Giles, this is a load of bollocks. Like, I'm not into it. And they were arguing about it a lot, you know. Until eventually Martha was accused and executed for witchcraft. And rather than defend his wife like any normal person would, Giles Corey stood with the accusers and was even a witness to her supposed witchery and wholly supported her execution. Eventually, as expected, Giles Corey, because people didn't like him, was accused of witchcraft himself, and lo and behold, now suddenly he thinks it's all a load of bollocks. Of course you do, Giles, you fucking mediocre man. So his punishment, this was a pretty common punishment at the time, um, was to, it's basically just being crushed to death. So they would lay him down, put a piece of wood, like, uh, on his torso, on his chest, and over the course of several days, they would add heavy heavy rocks on top of it. And the legend says that during his torture, he kept screaming out, more weight, more weight, because he was refusing to put in a plea, so his assets couldn't be seized, so his sons-in-law could keep his large farm. Eventually, he's crushed to death. The whole thing, you know, it comes to a head with him dying, I suppose. And with his last breath, he shouted out that he curses the Sheriff of Salem because the Sheriff of Salem was the one trying to extort money out of his sons-in-law and seize the farm and whatever. Mm -hmm. And he dies. Fine. Everything's fine. People are like, that was a weird guy, but we're glad he's dead. It's over. Four years later the sheriff dies of a very sudden heart attack. And a handful of people are like, ooh, spooky. But people are like, people have heart attacks all the time. Don't worry about it. Fine. 
Now, bear in mind, that sheriff was only 30 years old, which even at the time was young to be dropping dead of a heart attack, you know? Yeah, no, now, fair enough. Fast forward 300 years. In the 1970s, Robert Cal, the sheriff at the time, had a stroke and a heart attack and a rare blood condition, and doctors couldn't find any cause for any of this, and he was forced to retire. With all his extra time, he looked into the curse for himself, and he found that as far back as he could find, every sheriff before him had suffered and died a heart attack. Sorry, had suffered and died of a heart attack or some other heart or blood related thing. <laughs> and then in 1991, they moved the office outside of Salem and the curse seemingly was lifted because none of their sheriffs have died of heart or blood things since. They, of course, didn't mention the vendor selling hot dogs and bacon sandwiches <laughs> right outside the old office. <laughs> Incidentally, the sheriffs were paid in cheese. <laughs> they were paid in cheese and beer. That's interesting, though. Yeah, I thought it was um, a good one. <clears throat> uh, can I tell you quite a sinister curse? Oh, go on. Oh, yeah. I'll give you something a little bit uh, bit more juicy. Give me, give me a bit of spoop. Would you like me to read it in a sort of scary and ominous voice? No, that's too much spoop. I don't want to be too upset to continue, you know, nightmares and such. So I should continue as normal then. (laughs) Yes, finally use your real voice after all these months (laughs) of faking. Oh, thank God. Uh, So this is a particularly sinister curse. Uh, Lots of blood and dying and gloomy stuff. Um, The curse of the film Poltergeist... Uh, which was released in 1982 to critical acclaim. Um, and it was apparently cursed to have a terrible remake made of it in 2015. Oh. Um, I'm kidding. That was an entirely different curse. Um, that was a curse on all of us. There is, however, an alleged curse upon the cast of the original trilogy. In short, Poltergeist, the original decent one, is about a family moving into a new home and noticing strange things surrounding their young daughter. It all began with actress Joe Beth Williams' character, Diane, in one of the film's most famous scenes falling into the family pool and it's filled with skeletons. In a later interview, Williams recalled, In my innocence and naivete, I assumed that these were not real skeletons. <laughs> of course, they were. Oh. As it's apparently very expensive to make fake skeletons out of rubber. Uh, most allege that Wait, this... Is uh, apparently, yeah. Yeah, they're quite expensive to make them to a specific size or shape, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Most allege that this uh, desecration was the cause of the cursed befallings of the cast and crew. Months after the release of the first Poltergeist film, 22-year-old Dominique Dunn, who played Dana, the family's older daughter... Dominique Dunn played Dana, the daughter. Got it. So she died when she was brutally strangled in her own driveway by her abusive ex-boyfriend. Fuck me. And she was, re- and she was removed from life support five days later. Ooh. Um, So that's literally three months after the release of the first film. On the set of the second film, Native American actor Will Sampson, who played Taylor, um, actually performed a kind of exorcism which reportedly made much of the cast feel a form of unexplained spiritual relief. Um, Though this relief was apparently rather short-lived, Julian Beck, who starred as Kane in Poltergeist 2, the other side, died of stomach cancer at age 60 in 1985, months before the film even came out. Um, the aforementioned Will Fa- Samson died of malnutrition and post-operative kidney failure at the age of 53 in 1987. So far, a lot of this is just, you know, sometimes That's people die. Um, 
Yes. Yeah. While their deaths seem unrelated, many fans still believe they are connected to the curse. Uh, perhaps the most convincing case for the curse is the passing, passing of Heather O'Rourke, a.k.a. Carol Ann of the first Poltergeist. She died of cardiac arrest and septic shock caused by a misdiagnosed intestinal issue in February 1988 at the tender age of 12. Oh. Just a few short months before the release of Poltergeist 3. Um, in 2009, Lou Perryman, who played Pugsley in the first film, was brutally murdered in his own home by a recently released ex-convict. Richard Lawson, who played Ryan in the original film, barely escaped US Air Flight 405 when it crashed into Flushing Bay in March 1992. As I said, he survived, but it is another reason some people yeah. think that the film has occurred. It's still very bad luck. Still very bad luck. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the executive producers, Mike Connolly, he died of pneumonia then the following year after Poltergeist 2. So, I mean, quite a lot. Yeah, no. I take back what I said. They do kind of add up. But they're mostly... The other thing is, bar, like, the one... The two ridiculous, like, actual murders. Yeah. They're all, like, um, illness-based. And I'm like, you know, if you use real skeletons in a swimming pool scene, (laughs) it's probably not the most hygienic thing. Just to point that out there. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on how long the real skeletons have been dead. At some point, it's just bone. I have a whale's rib in my house. It's just bone. I'd say that was delicious because you always get really small ones off the Chinese takeaway, don't you? <laughs> That's the problem. You you got to go to the Indian takeaway. I was going to say, I went to Bahrain where they don't do pork, they do beef ribs and beef ribs are huge. I think every, yeah, no, every place needs to do beef rib. It's wonderful. I don't eat ribs. I, I don't like bones when they have meat on them, but I really enjoy finding them on the beach, apparently. I don't, I've got fucked up priorities. You do, and you should maybe consider directing a horror film in 1982. Maybe I should. Maybe that's exactly what I'll do. Waltergeist. A film by Emma Walsh Hackett. I'll get in touch with the guys who did Sharknado. Oh, cool. I know I've, I've had a Twitter response from Tara Reid before. We could make this happen. Oh, oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, I like that. That was spooky. Good for you. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so this is... Not that spooky, actually. It's more factual. Um, but I wanted to talk really quickly about poppets. So, okay, just... Poppies? Poppets. Poppets. Mary Poppins. You're nearly there. You're so close. I'm going to explain Poppers. it to you. And Those then things you, you get guess. at festivals. Poppers? Yeah. No, not that either. Though they okay. do seem kind of kind of cursed. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard bad things. I've yeah. never taken them, but every time I talk to someone, they're like, you shouldn't take them. You'll poo. It's like a bottle of and ghosts. And it seems like there's always one person has a story of someone who took poppers and pooed. People just, yeah. It's like childbirth. You just <laughs> poo. But these, these type of poppets will not make you poo, apparently. It depends, really, on who oh. has them. And yeah. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, sure. So really quickly... Let's make one thing clear. You cannot rock around calling every doll that has been made to represent another person a voodoo doll. You shouldn't. Okay. Um, because mm-hmm. voodoo is just like one kind of spirituality or religion that uses dolls. And as far as I understand, voodoo is not really open to outsiders. I think there's Is this one of its only voodoo if it's from the voodoo region of France? Otherwise, it's just sparkling necromancy? Basically, Yes. Okay. Like, weirdly, you kind of got it spot on, yeah. Um, because voodoo has to be passed down, I think, generationally or within a community. I'm not 100% sure. Okay, okay. Now, 
the interesting part is that Haitian witches, Haiti is where voodoo is popular. Um, Haitian mm. witches apparently don't really stick pins in dolls that much, which makes the moniker voodoo doll even stupider. The more general term, the thing you've been looking for is poppet, like the sweets from the cinema, poppet. Now, it is, as you may expect, an older spelling of the word puppet, <laughs> because it's exactly that. It's fairly literal and straightforward. It's a magic puppet that's made to represent people or to contain spirits or to capture people's essence or whatever across various different use cases. But they actually existed in all sorts of ancient cultures in various forms, obviously, notably in voodoo, um, also in pagan times in ye olde Europe, they made corn mothers. So basically, they believed that the spirit of the grain was living in the crop, which meant that when okay. you harvested your crops, you were making the spirit homeless. Oh, and so if, you, okay. Yeah, and if you leave the spirit homeless, then you won't have like a good crop the following year because there'll be no corn spirit in it. So they would yeah. take like little bits of the corn, they would make these dolls mm -hmm. um, so that the spirit could inhabit the dolls and live with them during the winter and have somewhere to stay around the community until the crops were grown back the following year. Because otherwise it would just be a husk. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, it's interesting to hear that there's corn mothers, they call corn them. Corn mothers, right? Yeah, or corn Cause, dollies. Because like, I've seen children of the corn, and I've often <laughs> wondered, like, who left these kids unsupervised? And well, now I know. Now you know, they're not unsupervised. They're being supervised by the mother, the spirit of the corn. It's like the, it's like the, what's the one, um, <clears throat> whatever happened to all the Sour Patch parents? Oh, God. I think I ate them. There you go. I feel like I would have, because I really like Sour Patch Kids. I, they should bring that out, though, Sour Patch Parents. Just as like a jumbo yeah, Sour Patch Kid. It's two really big Sour Patch Kids. Like, yeah. you can't see my hands, listeners, but I'm doing a bit of two-foot sprawl here. Like a Sour Patch Cake. Ooh, that, that sounds kind of vomit-inducing. I think you're forgetting or, you can't have friends over to share it, like... No, I'm not going to. It's it's me. Although, there's something quite sinister about a man ordering a human-sized <laughs> gelatin mold, isn't there? It's just something... No matter which way you word it, it doesn't seem like a good time. Okay, before you get accused of fetishizing cannibalism, shall we call it? Let's, well, let's have, have another... to make up for your work a couple of weeks ago. This is what I'm saying. Like, we can't both be at it. Let's have <laughs> another example. So, in Japan... These silk body dolls were and are still popular. They're called hoko dolls, I think. And okay. basically the idea is that it's a baby doll that a pregnant woman is given and it's supposed to protect and watch over her soon-to-be baby. And then mm -hmm. the baby gets to keep it when they're born. Now, this one's interesting because they still exist as like a nice little cultural tradition, but the modern ones have cameras and thermometers and other sensors and things inside them so they can very literally watch over the baby, keep baby safe. But the kids would be I feel required like you're linguistically to... mocking them at this stage, though. How dare keep you? Keep baby safe. That's what you just did. 
I feel like baby is every baby's name. You know what? Let's... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so baby is expected to... I'm doing it again. The baby. <laughs> the. A baby. Insert articles. The baby. Yeah. The baby. Mm-hmm. The baby. Um, they're expected to keep it because, you know, it's, it's kind of part of them once they're born. Okay. Yeah. That's quite sweet, actually, when you think about it. I think it's a pleasant like a one. Of, it's like a sort of necromantic teddy bear. I don't think this one is... I, I think you're misusing necromancy. I'm kind of just using it for any term that means something of the... Of the beyond. I was going to say of the... I don't know why, but I was going to say of the... I suppose the the mysterious occult that I don't understand. I sort of I sort of understand Irish occultism, and I've read enough about American and UK and European occultism. But when we talk about you know like Southeast Asia and the kind of occult that exists out there, it's just it's it's such a and I hate to use the word, but it is a foreign concept to me. You know what I mean? It's I, a I different don't think that's an inappropriate word in this instance, just for the record. But yeah, no, I agree with you completely. It's it's just different enough from the culture we were raised with that makes it really hard to picture. That's exactly it. It's, it's such a strange um, reality to live in when you've spent so long living in your own. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, but I have something a little bit closer to home in that we are in Europe. As far as I'm aware. Have you ever felt sad when you listen to a song? I feel sad when I listen to most songs. You're just sad all the time. I just really like The Cure. Wow, wow, wow. I'm Emma and I like sad music. My hair is so big and I'm so sad. Your hair is nowhere near as big as mine. That was a weird thing to brag about. You don't want to bring up big it hair weird in front brag. of me. The point is, I was born with Robert Smith's hair, which is only interesting because both of my parents also had Robert Smith's hair at the time. I was born with Art Garfunkel's face and hairstyle and James Corden's weight problem. To be fair, you've maintained those things well into adulthood, which I respect. Uh, well, I appreciate your respect. I wish uh, they kept them to themselves. <laughs> but if you've listened to music and you felt sad, how sad have you felt? Have you ever felt that you do something possibly self-harm? Feel suicidal? Over know? music? Probably not. I, I will say this. I've had uh, very, very, very depressing episodes and I've listened to the right song that summed me up and the song didn't make me feel so down and depressed Mm. but it amplified it in a way that i think is healthy because it made me able to feel my own feelings on a more fundamental and core level definitely definitely i've had that experience i relate to that for sure okay great um well then i'd like to tell you about the hungarian suicide song or gloomy sunday oh dear indeed i should have known you were Um, ramping up to something as sinister as the suicide song I don't know why, but it's so much worse because it's Hungarian. It's the Hungarian suicide song. There is song. something about it, isn't there? Yeah, it's yeah. got a nice ring to it. It flows. Um, in the early 1930s, Hungarian songwriter Rezo Seres was struggling to make a living. Music publishers were uninterested in his work. His fiance argued with him constantly. Give up the dream, she'd say, and who could blame her? The chips were down and money was tight, but Seres wouldn't have it. He'd become a successful songwriter, he told her, or he'd live out in the streets. Unfortunately, his troubles continued. 
This led to one final heated argument after which he and his fiance parted ways. The day after their fateful breakup, which happened to be a Sunday, Sarah sat alone in his apartment in Paris, his fingers tapping quietly at his piano. Dark clouds gathered in the sky, a gloomy thunderstorm to accompany his melancholy state of mind, and it began to rain. At that moment, a strange melody came to Sarah's and a fitting title for a new song, which is in Hungarian, and I'm not going to even try. It's got an SZ and a couple of U's with accents on them. It's probably difficult. Gloomy Sunday is the English translation. Mm -hmm. The original music composition was a piano melody in C minor with the lyrics being sung over it. Ceres wrote the song at the time of the Great Depression and the increasingly fascist influence in the, in the writer's native Hungary. Although sources differ as to the degree to which his song was motivated by personal melancholy rather than concerns about the future of the world, the basis of Ceres' lyrics is a reproach to the injustices of man with a prayer to God to have mercy on the modern world and the people who perpetrate evil. Now, to be fair, I think it kind of has to be both. It's a combination of both, I would argue, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like personal tragedy is how we perceive the world in many ways. Absolutely, you know, that's but the, also like more to to file it down another little bit. As a songwriter, I'm not able to write songs about the woes of the world if I'm in a great mood. The two kind of have to go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. You're, you're, you're very right. That's all I do. Have dirty, you not met me? Dirty musical whore. Oh, dirty. mm Careful there. <clears throat> there are some suggestions that the words of Vega Aviliagnek, I'm sure I said that wrong, were in fact not written until World War II itself and not copyrighted until 1946. Hmm. Suresh initially had difficulty finding a publisher, mainly due to the unusual melancholy nature of the song. One potential publisher is noted as stating, It is not that the song is sad. There is a sort of terrible, compelling despair about it. I don't think it would do anyone any good to hear a song like that. Oh dear. Doesn't that say it all? You know now I um, have the song, to hear it. I, I've, I've got the lyrics at the end of this. We'll, we'll, okay, I'll cool. give you a couple of versions as well. It is available. You can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, the song was published as sheet music in late 1933 with lyrics by poet Laszlo Yavor, who was inspired by a recent breakup with his fiance. According to most sources, Yavor rewrote the lyrics after the song's first publication, although he is sometimes described as the original writer of its words. This is starting to feel a little bit, you know, Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants, though. What do you mean by that? Sus? No, you know, where you, you have a thing and you're heartbroken and then you pass it along. It's starting to sound like this guy is just sort of piggybacking off someone else's creativity, being like, I'm sad too. I will give you bits of it in the end and I'll explain the difference. But essentially, he decided to rewrite the words because he couldn't get it published. Okay. Um, whereas uh, Laszlo was able to get it published. Okay. Um, his lyrics contain no political sentiments, but rather were a lament for the death of a beloved and a pledge to meet with the lover again in the afterlife. This version of the song became the best known, and most later rewritings are based around the idea of this lost love. After he published the composition, Suresh shocked the new song with lyrics by um, his friend Laszlo. Um, things didn't go well at first. One publisher rejected the song for being too depressing, and eventually, however, a publisher accepted Gloomy Sunday, and in 1935 it was recorded by Hungarian pop singer Pal Kalmar, who was a success. If you had a song recorded by a pop star, you were doing well then. Ceres uh, was elated as you would expect, but that is when it started. A few months after Gloomy Sunday was printed, there were a spate of strange occurrences that were allegedly sparked off by the new song. In Berlin, a young man requested a band to play Gloomy Sunday, and after the number was performed, the man went home and shot himself in the head with a revolver. After complaining to relatives that he felt severely depressed by the melody, which he couldn't get out of his head. 
A week later in the same city, a young female shop assistant was found hanging from a rope in her flat. Police who investigated the suicide found a copy of the sheet music to Gloomy Sunday in the dead girl's bedroom. Two days after that tragedy, a young secretary in New York gassed herself, and in a suicide note she requested Gloomy Sunday to be played at her funeral. Weeks later, another New Yorker, aged 82, jumped to his death from the window of his seven-story apartment after playing the deadly song on his piano. Around the same time, a teenager in Rome who had heard the unlucky tune jumped off the bridge to his death. Okay, this is this does sound very cursed. At first I was it's like, pretty- all of these people are probably already mentally ill, depressed, whatever it is they need to be. But yeah, no, it's, it is. It's another one that's getting a bit too coincidental. I just say, well, I, I, you know me, I've always argued that everyone on the planet is mentally ill in some way. I mean, That's yeah, the whole thing. most of us, not so much so that they're w- we're willing to commit suicide about it. I, 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 you know, there's an old saying that we're all one bad day away. You know, that's the thing. And I think that perhaps that bad day could just be the day you hear this song. Um, the newspapers of the world were very quick to report other deaths associated with Ceresa's song. One newspaper covered the case of a woman in North London who had been playing a 78-inch recording of Gloomy Sunday at full volume, infuriating and frightening her neighbours, who had read of the fatalities supposedly caused by the tune. The stylist finally came trapped in a groove and the same piece of the song played over and over. The neighbours hammered on the woman's door, but there was no answer, so they forced the door open, only to find the woman dead in her chair from an apparent overdose of barbiturates. As the months went by, a steady stream of bizarre and disturbing deaths that were alleged to be connected to Lumi Sunday persuaded the the chiefs of the BBC to ban the seemingly accursed song from the airwaves. Fair. Um, Riz Rosaris, back in France, was soon to feel the effects of his labours. He wrote to his ex-fiancée pleading for a reconciliation, but several days later came the most awful, shocking news. Ceres learned from the police that his sweetheart had poisoned herself, and by her side, a copy of the sheet music to Gloomy Sunday was found. This isn't even a story at this point, it's just a list of dead people. My God. It's a story too. Hang on. At the end of the 1930s, when the world was plunged into the war against Hitler, Ceres's inauspicious song was quickly forgotten in the global turmoil. But the sheet music to the dreaded song is still available on the net too to those who are curious to know if the morbid melody can still exert its deadly influence. Which I am. Perhaps the most popular version of the song was Billie Holiday's 1941 recording, sung in English. There you go, me too. This version was also eventually banned by the BBC, and Holiday died of a supposed drug overdose only a few weeks after releasing the song. The story of the Hungarian suicide song ends nearly as it began. Well, sort of. Ceres, hoping to get back to his ex finale, learned of the horror that she had poisoned herself, just as the other alleged suicides. She too had the sheet music gloomy Sunday nearby, and finally in 1968, Rezro Ceres himself committed suicide by jumping from the top of a building in Budapest, Hungary. But of course, none of us believe a song can kill, do we? And if we don't, do we believe it's the melody or the music that elicits the undesired effects? So, I will tell you, there's two versions of this song I know mm-hmm. that are exist. There's Billie Holiday's version, which is a little bit cheerier. There's a version by Elvis Costello on his 1980 or 1981 album, Trust, and it's just him and an acoustic guitar. After he sings the original lyrics, mm-hmm. he adds a final verse saying that he was only dreaming and he awakes in his lover's arms, just to sort of soften the yeah. effect, as you might expect. A yeah. little bit of a cop-out, mind you. But I have the original Hungarian lyrics uh, translated, okay. and I have uh, the later English retelling, which would be the more popular one. Okay. So let's see what you think. <clears throat> it is autumn and the leaves are falling. All love has died on earth. The wind is weeping with sorrowful tears. My heart will never hope for a new spring again. Oh, we're not off to a great start, are we? No. 
My tears and my sorrows are all in vain. People are heartless, greedy and wicked. Love has died. The world has come to its end. Hope has ceased to have a meaning. Cities are being wiped out. Shrapnel is making music. Meadows are coloured red with human blood. There are dead people on the streets everywhere. I will say another quiet prayer. People are sinners, Lord. They make mistakes. The world has ended. Those would be Rezro's original lyrics, um, as best as they can approximate a translation. Yeah. Now, and then? these are the video, the lyrics to Billie Holiday's and Elvis Costello's version. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually written a version of this song to a different melody, just because it was fun when I was a teenager. Okay. As a fun fact. Sunday is gloomy. My hours are slumberless. Dearest, the shadows I live with are numberless. Little white flowers will never awaken you, not when the black coach of sorrow has taken you. Angels have no thought of ever returning you. Would they be angry if I thought of joining you? Gloomy Sunday. Gloomy is Sunday, with shadows I spend it all. My heart and I have decided to end it all. Soon there'll be flowers and prayers that are sad, I know. Let them not weep, let them know that I'm glad to go. Death is no dream, for in death I am caressing you. And with the last breath of my heart, I'll be blessing you. Gloomy Sunday. I mean, that is pretty depressing, but I maybe it's because my parents raised me on the Smiths, so I've developed sort of an immunity to misery. But I don't think it's that bad. I know Morrissey's a Nazi. I'm not giving him money anymore, but I can't stop enjoying no. his music. I just can't. Not a bother. Um, I just thought it was an interesting story, guys. Uh, as always, if you're if you're um, feeling down, feeling low, maybe don't listen to this song. If you're a curious person who's pretty confident in mental health, I actually think it's kind of hauntingly beautiful in a way. Even just reading okay. the lyrics out there, I'm always taken aback. I think it's very pretty. I mean, um, I'm, I'm in a good version. place, and I'm definitely going to go and listen to this when we're done recording here. Should but be yeah. fun. In the meantime, I have a very, very stupid and silly quiz. Oh, I love a quiz. Oh, it's a stupid one, though. This is a proper stupid one. Okay. Uh, listeners, I wrote this 20 minutes before we recorded, and I'm hoping that it's not an absolute disaster. I've been meaning to ask you this for so, the longest time. Did you forget my name? Why do you keep calling me listeners? We're recording this to release to people out in the world. Do you remember the There world? are people still in the world? I know, I know. I haven't seen Do them in ages. Outside. <laughs> the event has taken place. <clears throat> Question one. Okay. Wait, you didn't tell me the theme of the quiz. It's curses. Is it a true or false? Am I going to get... You, you know what, fine. Just let's go in blind. You do, you do fine, yeah. Okay. In the Wallace and Gromit film, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, what was the name of the heiress? Was it Lady Poshbottom? Lady Flauntington? Lady Tottington or Lady Andrewtramp? I've actually seen this and I have no idea. I'm going to go Lady Flauntington? Incorrect. It's Ooh. Lady Tottington. Tottington. Like a thought, mm. though. Like a, a little bit, yes. Well, a, a bit of totty, yeah. as the, the yeah. tans might say. Right. In the Mr. Bean episode, The Curse of Mr. Bean, which of these ingredients did he not use in his sandwich? Was it lettuce, hams, sardines, or peppercorns? You're right. This is a truly, truly stupid quiz. Uh, Lettuce. No, uh, he actually makes a sandwich of lettuce, which he washes in the the park's fountain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sardines, which he catches freshly from the pond. (laughs) And peppercorns, which he breaks with a hammer and a handkerchief. Ham is the thing he doesn't use in his sandwich, I'm afraid. Oh. Yeah. Uh, So, spell curse. 
I know C U R S E is a trap, but I'm gonna lock in. No, no, in that's, with correct. that's correct. That's okay. correct. Wait, you've got it. Okay, that, yeah, that's perfect. It? Yep, spell course. C C O A R S E. Correct. Spell course. C O O R S. Correct. And spell course. C O U R S E. No. Oh. Sorry. Yep. Was it C-O-R-R-S? Don't leave me hanging. The correct answers were C-U-R-S-E, C-O-A-R-S-E, C-O-U-R-S-E, and C-O-O-R-S. Curse, course, course, and cores. I had the last two. I just had them flipped around. I deserve the exactly. credit for that. You've got three points out of four for the spelling round. I'll take four. Thank you. Let's move on. You're getting three. <laughs> um, what is the play Macbeth referred to since it is known to curse actors who speak the its Scottish name? The Scottish play. It is the Scottish play, mm-hmm. correct. And finally, we all know the curse of the 51. Of course we do, but why don't you explain it? Sure. Uh, Mayo won their Sa Sam oh, Cup in 1951. Mayo yes. Exactly. Allegedly, when they were coming home, they interrupted a funeral and were quite boisterous mm. in the celebrations. A local priest cursed them that they would never win the cup again until the last member of the team had died. So, how many of the Curse of the 51 are still alive? Two. No, zero. Oh. Down to one as of last year, oh. I'm afraid. Uh, his name is Paddy Prendergast. He lives in Tralee. And he's been interviewed twice on the subject and basically says, it's unfortunate, I don't think it's real. <laughs> so a healthy, sceptical old man in Tralee says that you should stop being so suspicious, Mayo, and just pull the finger out. Get to work. Okay, but also, is he just trying not to get killed? Like, <laughs> that's what I'd say if I were Paddy. I, you know what? I think Irish people are too, are too sarcastic and jokey to be like, I'm actually going to murder someone so a sports team will win. If this happened in America, that dude would be fucked. <laughs> if this happened in America, that dude would have died 20 years ago from healthcare. He won the cup in 1951 and he's still alive. So remember Isn't that, that a thing? The, the, the Super Bowl guy, Tom Brady, seemingly... <laughs> the American papers have it that his wife is a witch and that's why he keeps winning the Super Bowl because she has like altars and stuff at home. I do like that someone said he's going to be the first American footballer to have a Super Bowl toe ring. <laughs> Which should be interesting. Yeah. Emma, this was fun. I enjoyed it. This was fun. Good for us. And now... Would you, would you like a little bit more? An extra couple of minutes? Well, I'm going to say... I curse you Ooh. to deliver a funny and insightful monologue to take us out of this episode. That's absolutely not going to happen. Here's the monologue I have written. That'll do. In a bid to avoid a swift but firm slap on the bottom from the research fairy, I actually looked into curses. Like, properly. In fact, I came over all Louis Theroux about it and infiltrated several communities. Oh, they're out there, ladies and gentlemen. They're out there. Recipe writing, price gouging, mirror wielding, rent a witch curse specialists. But you can only get so much information without being part of their inner circle. They're like furries, politicians, or furry politicians in that way. So I quickly consulted the Complete Creatures Compendium, rolled for initiative, and then I did what I do every weekend. I arranged to meet a whole group of strangers from the internet in a shady and remote place. But when I got there, 
I discovered they were actually really lovely, really sound. Turns out witches are just a gang of body-positive, intersectional feminists who love camping. They showed their welcoming nature. <clears throat> Interhectional. It's a monologue, not an invite-your-friends-o-logue. <laughs> <laughs> Interhectional feminists, come on. They showed their welcoming nature, having set up a seat for me near the fire and made me a lovely cup of tea. Well, a cup of tea. I'll be honest, it tasted awful, but it was hot and I appreciated it. It being February and us beginning to undress already. And as I sat there, sipping my disgusting sour tea, watching the coven dance around the fire and really enjoying the way the moonlight bounced off Sister Witch Bernie's head as he huddled against a cold wearing only his winter coat, and generally fancying myself as a bit of an amateur anthropologist, it sank in. I'm too old to pull off glitter tits. I have to do this now, somewhere, somehow, in between childbirth, marriage, lockdown, and lockdown again, and another lockdown, and maybe another one I've, I've forgotten. I've lost my youth. I could feel white hairs start to sprout from my chin, and a large, dense, and mossy layer of matching white pubic hair had taken hold in half the time. The circles seemed to be getting tighter as my fingernails began to turn yellow and grow into the bird-prey talons that the nuns at school used to have. The witches had me, and they were coming closer to finish me off. Terrified, even petrified as it was, my mind managed to push through a single panicked alarm. There's no way there's two meters between them. None of them have masks on, and I can't see any BCG scars. So I ran. I shut my eyes, pretended this was every single Monday morning when my husband asks me where I've been all weekend and I just ran as fast as I could in any direction. My bare feet pounded painfully into the forest floor. I managed to duck and weave my way between the trees which appeared to bend as I approached them until I reached a state of perfect awareness I could feel the witching magic course through my veins and I could see through time and into the cracks. My body still throwing itself through the trees on autopilot, my mouth set about cursing the people who had held me back, every callous girl who had broken my heart, all those people who laugh-reacted my nudes, several teachers from secondary school, the cashier in Lidl who gave me too little change, the woman who lives on my street who doesn't like my dog, my aunt's ex-boyfriend, the one who said my hair looked like a wrestler's hair, yeah, him, the executives who cancelled Firefly, Eamon de Valera, obviously, the weather presenter who says happy birthday to far too many people for my liking, and a lifetime of parents, bosses, principals and therapists who have all tried to gently encourage me to take responsibility for my own self. Death, famine, rashes and crabs to them all. Until finally, I fell into the leaf-paved ground and made no sound as I saw my soul leave my body and explode into a cloud of glitter and young birds. The ritual was complete. Several days later I awoke. I had been wrapped in white cloth, pumped full of liquids I had no name for, washed and laid out gently, and a blinding pain in my left side to let me know I was still alive. A doctor entered the room and began to tell me 
how organ harvesting affects almost 100% of those who hang out with people from Craigslist in forests. <laughs> Don't make my mistake. Wear a steel corset this witch season. Tell your friends and neighbours to do the same. This has been a message from Kylock, the Witchcraft Safety Authority of Ireland. <clears throat> You know what? I'm giving myself a jolly good and I'm giving all you nice people a see you next week. Bye. (laughs) See you next week, guys. Take it easy.